0: if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Esther. The Old Testament book of Esther and chapter number five. We're marching through this wonderful book, this historical book, just recounting a little bit about what's going on chapter by chapter and learning a little bit more of the history of God's people through this time. And that even though we don't see God's name written in this book, we clearly see his hand all over it as he is purposely arranging and putting things for such a time as this to take care of his people. And we've already seen through chapter one, we've watched as Vashti the queen disqualified herself and she broke the law and under rebellion. And now everyone has a law to to obey but because of the consequences of that she was removed from being king and chapter two we see the rise of Esther as Esther is brought up and one of the important things about this is that she obeyed the authority she had as she did not tell the anybody that she was a Hebrew person that she was a Jewish person but she kept it silent under the wise counsel of Mordecai and sure enough Esther did become queen and in chapter 3 we see the introduction of Haman the villain in this account this man who was risen up to be the second in command of of the Persian Empire but he had an odd against one person By the name of Mordecai who was a Jew. And that there was a law passed that when When Haman walked anywhere. That people were supposed to fall down at his feet and worship him. And Mordecai said no I only worship one being and that's God not a man. And so Mordecai stood his ground. And because of this Haman got incensed. So much that he just didn't want to punish one man. But instead, he was planning to commit genocide and punish a whole group of people because of his hatred and his spite and his bitterness towards one man. And the next chapter in chapter four, we saw how God had arranged for Esther to be there for such a time as this. That her wise uncle who was mourning uh, had gotten word to Esther and said, Esther, you've got to do something. You've got to do something that God has made you the Queen of this empire. Surely he put you for such a time as this. Can you not go talk to the king? Can you not go see if he will not reverse this? And Esther replied back that said. As much as I would like to. There's a law that says. I can only approach the king when he calls me. If not. He could kill me under the law of death. That if he didn't summon me. If I happen to walk into his throne room. That if I go there uninvited. I'm there under the penalty of death. The only thing that could save me is if the king would put out the golden scepter and show his grace. That's the only hope that I have. And Mordecai says, you've got to try. You've got to try. So Esther said, fine, if I go, if I perish, I perish. If I try, I'm going to try. But he says, you got to do something for me. You've got to get everyone you possibly can and fast and pray because we need God to do something. This is something I can't do. I can't make the king uh, give me grace. I can't make the king listen to me. I can't make the king uh, show me any kind of favor. It's got to be God. We've got to pray for the impossible. Let's pray. And so they arranged so every Jewish person that they could find within their sphere of influence was to fast and to pray for three days and three nights. And now we come up to chapter 5, and let's see how this story, this account, fills out. Do they receive the answer to prayer as they pray to the Lord? What do we see here? In Esther chapter 5, and verse number 1, notice what it says in Esther 5, and verse 1. Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand so Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter then said the queen unto her what wilt thou queen Esther what is thy request it shall be given thee to the half of the kingdom and Esther answered if it seem good to the unto the king let the king and Haman come this day unto a banquet that I prepared for him then the king said, cause Haman to make haste, and he may do as Esther had said. So the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther had prepared. And the king said to, unto Esther at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? Even to the half of the kingdom it shall be performed. Then answered Esther and said, My petition and my request is... If I found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleased the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet I shall prepare for them, and I will do tomorrow as the king hath said. Then went Haman forth that day joyfully and with a glad heart. "...but when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he stood not up, nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself, and when he came home, he sent and called for his friends and Zeresh his wife. And Haman told him of the glory of his riches, and the multitude of his children, and all the things wherein the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him above the princes and the servants of the king." Haman said, Moreover, Yea, and Queen Esther, or Esther the Queen, did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she prepared but myself. And tomorrow am I invited unto her also with a king. Yet all this availeth me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then said his wife and all of his friends unto him, Let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king, that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou in merrily, and the king unto the banquet. Then the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made." And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in Esther chapter 5? Esther chapter 5 and verse 9, the phrase, full of indignation," full of indignation. And with the Lord's help, we want to preach this idea here as we examine Haman, full of indignation, full of indignation. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for the great privilege it is to come to your house, especially with this special day of we are honoring the Lord's Supper. I'm asking, Lord, that you would use this to examine our own lives, Lord, that we can make sure that we are good between you and us, that our fellowship be where it should be, that if there's any secret sins or hidden sins, that you would expose them. Maybe there is someone with a root of bitterness. Maybe someone has unforgiveness. Maybe someone is full of anger and indignation. We're asking, Lord, that you would give them victory over that today so that your way, the fellowship between you and us, be not hindered. Again, with such an important night and a night where we want to put you first, I'm recognizing in my own self how I need to be filled with the Spirit, I need to be dead to self. So the best I know how, I'm asking and recognizing myself dead. Begging that you fill me with your precious spirit. And that you would get victory in the lives of your folks tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Full of indignation, We see Haman here as a central character here. But there's something leading up. We had explained that in chapter 4. That... Esther had a plan, Mordecai's plan, but she was going to follow through with it, that she was going to approach the king and ask favor. But again, the law stated that Esther could not approach the king until, um, or at the penalty of death, unless the king put out his golden scepter to give her favor and to accept her. And so she did not have anything to do, any magic tricks, anything to fool him. She just had to depend upon the Lord. And so that's what she did. She asked everyone she could, Mordecai and his friends and Esther and her maidens, to fast and to pray that God would grant her favor. And sure enough, when it came time after the end of those days, Esther came up with a plan. She had some forethought. She already had the banquet prepared, so she was going by faith. You know, that shows a lot of faith, too, doesn't it? That she was expecting an answer to prayer. And by the way, you should expect answers to prayer. When you're praying, expect it. She expected it so much that she prepared a banquet ahead of time, in advance, expecting it. You know, if she died, that whole banquet would have went to waste, wouldn't it? She was going by faith that God was going to grant her petition. So sure enough, she shows up. Pick it up with me in verse number one, and we'll walk through this really quick. Now, it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel. So she dressed like a queen. She was preparing. She wanted to make sure that she was dressed appropriately. She put on her royal apparel. She put on the the thing that said, I'm the queen. And stood in the inner court of the king's house, over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house and over against the gate of the house. So he's sitting on his throne. Esther goes into the... To the Court, and when it was so, the King saw Esther the Queen standing in the court. Now, here is the time of, of uh, trial what 's going to happen that she obtained favor in his sight? That was God answering the prayer. Only God could grant that type of favor. <laughs> And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Then the king said to her, what wilt thou, Queen Esther? What is thy request? It shall be given to thee, even to the half of the kingdom. Can't you tell God was preparing his heart? God was working on it. He saw Esther and looked and said, wow. Come on, Queen Esther, you come... I'm glad to see you. You obviously got something important to talk to me. You ask me anything. I'll give you half of my entire empire if you ask it. You just tell me what you want. That's a lot of favor, isn't it? You just tell me what you want. and It's already done. It's checked off. It's already done. I'll give you half the kingdom if you ask for it right now. Good God, God was working. Notice verse four. And Esther answered, if it seemed good to the king, let the king and Haman come this day to a banquet that I prepared for him. Esther said, all right, I want to tell you. But before I tell you, I've got a dinner party. You come to my dinner party and we'll take care of business there. And I want you and I want Haman to come. The king snapped his finger. Haman! And they went and grabbed Haman. Notice as it goes on, verse five. And the king said, cause Haman to make haste. So he may do as Esther had said. So the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther prepared. So here's a banquet. A beautiful banquet set out. And only three people are there. Esther, the king, and Haman. Just three. This is a private dinner party. And so they fellowship. They eat And the king said to Esther at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition? And it shall be granted to thee. What is thy request? Even the half of the kingdom It shall perform. Now the king knows that he's asking for a specific reason. King, uh, the king says, All right, Esther, what do you have here? Tell me what you want. I'll even give you the half of the kingdom. You just tell me what you want. This is yours. What do you want? Now Esther is probably pretty afraid. (laughs) She's got Haman right here. He's the bad guy. She wants to spare a law that the king himself signed. And so she did what probably a lot of you would try to do. Let's put it off one more day. (laughs) Let's just give a second. Let's work up some bravery. Let's just wait a second. And so... Verse 7, then answered Esther and said, my petition and my request is... You can almost imagine that, all right, king, my request and my petition is... I'll talk about it tomorrow. You know, if I found favor in thy sight, king, and if it pleased the king to grant my petition and to grant my request, let the king and Haman come to a banquet. I shall prepare for them and I will do tomorrow. As the king has said, she goes, I really got something important to tell. And, and if you really want to grant my request, if you really mean it, then you and Haman come tomorrow and i have another banquet set up and I'll tell you tomorrow. Well, the king was pretty patient with her. All right. I don't know, sometimes husbands say, no, 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 tell me now. (laughs) Tell me now. But he's like, okay, not a problem. Haman, you got anything going on tomorrow? Well, clear your schedule. You're going to be here tomorrow. Okay. And then, so we have this. Now it puts its attention on Haman. Then went Haman forth that day joyful and with a glad heart. Now, in my mind... Maybe I watch too many cartoons, but if I was going to draw a cartoon, this is how it'd be. Here's Haman walking down the road. He's walking with a swagger. He's whistling. You'd almost see the little cartoon notes coming out. The sun is shining. The birds up there. He's just walking along, just having a good time. He's just so excited. Everything's going well for him. He has had a great day. He just had a banquet with the king and the queen. And not only that, the queen specifically said, I want Haman there. And in his mind, he's thinking, it can't get any better than this. The queen wants me there for a reason. She must want a special request. And it's got to concern me. Life is good. Everything's coming up roses. Man, I am a winner. This is great. And, you know, he's just walking along whistling. He's excited to himself. And in just one moment, it breaks. Notice then went Haman that day joyful and with a glad heart. But when he was, when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. Now again, go with me to my cartoon world. Here he is. You'd almost see the old black and white cartoons where the hill is circular and he's just still walking up the hill. Just singing up and just having a good time. And there he sees Mordecai. And he sees him. And all of a sudden the blue skies go away. The birds stop singing. The gray clouds roll over. The storm hits. And you can see the face change. On Mordecai. That one moment he's singing. And then in mid-note. His face changes. Full of indignation. You can almost see Haman's chest. Go up and down as he starts breathing hard. That Jew. I was having a great day until I saw you. Mordecai didn't do a single thing. Just the look of Mordecai was enough to ruin the greatest day in Haman's life. And Haman was having a great day. I mean, he's excited. It's a great day to be Haman. But it's all ruined just to look at Mordecai. And he, he's just not mad, but notice this. He is full of ignignation. He is so full of indignation. This indignation carries the idea of a heated fire. It's like a volcano. It is eruptive anger, fire. He is he is to the place he wants to do bodily harm, and he actually has to refrain himself from actually stepping out and and attacking, killing Mordecai right then. Notice the phrase of verse ten. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself. You know, the moment that he saw Mordecai, it all came crushing down and he wanted to do bodily harm to Mordecai right then and there. He physically had to refrain himself from harming Mordecai. He was that angry, that bitter, that wrathful. Notice as it goes on. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself. And when he came home, he sent and called for his friends and Zeresh the right is wife. So he got home and said, hey, go grab my friends. Go grab this guy. Go grab this side. Tell him to come here. I've got something to tell him. So he gathers his wife and he gathers his friends. And Haman told him of the glory of his riches. He starts off by bragging and says, guys, I want to tell you, I've got money. I've got lots of money. I'm Scrooge it in the back, man. I'm swimming in the swimming pool full of money. I'm, I'm, I've got money. I've got plenty of things here. He says, I've got riches and the multitude of his children. By the way, he has seven sons, I believe. Seven sons. He says, I've got a multitude of children. I've got all the kids I want. And the things wherein the king hath promoted him. And how he advanced him over the princes and the servants of the king. He said, I'm number one. Hey, the king doesn't do anything without my permission. The king doesn't do anything. Unless I'm included. Man, I am special. I am it. I'm the best thing since sliced bread. And sliced bread hasn't been invented yet. He says, I'm great. This is good. He says, but... Haman said, moreover, yea, Esther, the queen did let no man come into the king to the banquet she had prepared, but myself. And tomorrow I'm invited unto her also with the king. He says, you want to know something? What happened to me today? I got to go to a special banquet. Just me and the king and Esther. That's it. That's because they think that much of me. You see, I'm the greatest (laughs) and they know it. And they just want to be around me. Hey, quick, touch me, touch me. Ah, you're touching greatness. He's saying, I totally reek of awesomeness. He says, I'm just great. He says, everyone just look at me, bask in my glory. He says, just look at me. That's all right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hold your applause. No, keep it coming. He's telling them how great he is. And he's bragging. You kind of wonder what kind of friends he has listening to all this. And he's saying, oh, how great he is. And he says, I got to a special banquet Tomorrow. I get another banquet with just the king and the queen. Because I'm so great. But then it drops the hammer. The other shoe drops. Yet all of this availeth me nothing. I can tell you. I told you about my riches and my family. I told you about how great I am. And how the king and king love me. King and queen love me. And how they want my advice. And how they need me. But yet it's nothing. It's nothing. It's all trash because that Jew is still alive. That's a lot of hatred. Ruin all that good day. I mean, most of us would be like, hey, that's a pretty good day to have money in the bank, to have your kids all happy, to have everything going well, to be you trusted in your company, your corporation, that people say, man, I'm so glad that they're there. This this place would fall apart without them. We just need them so much. And in fact, let's go ahead. We're giving you an award and we're giving you another award. You'd be pretty happy with that, right? To be honored and and to be put in a good position. But all of that is nothing. As long as Mordecai's alive, this is nothing. It's worthless. My white life is not worth living as long as he's alive. This world's not big enough for the both of us. One of us has got to go. That's pretty bitter to have your good day ruined just by one person. And that person didn't do anything to you. He just was there. He just was living. Notice what the answer they saw. Then said Zeresh, his wife. It would make sense that his wife would be the same character as Haman, right? We got a plan and all of his friends said to him, let a gallows be made of 50 cubits high. That's a pretty big thing. 50 cubits. Remember, a cubit is about 18 inches. So 50 cubits. That's pretty tall. Why did he want it so tall? He wanted everyone to see Mordecai die. He wanted everyone there to see the death of Mordecai. And to see the death of his adversary. He says, 50 cubits high and tomorrow speak thou to the king that Mordecai could be hanged therein. And go thou merrily into the king and the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman and he caused the gallows to be made. Now again, this is how powerful Haman is. Is that Haman snapped his fingers, got a servant, and told them to go build me a gallows out in the middle of the street. You don't need any permission because I'm the one who gives permission. And I want you to build this big old monstrosity that is 50 cubits high. And I want you to do it tomorrow. Get it done. Imagine how many people he had to wake up in the middle of the night and said, All right, Haman wants this thing built. And he wants it built now. Let's get to work. That's a lot of power to have, just to snap your fingers and get it done overnight. Get this construction project done. Get it over with. And again, we see this plan. His great day is ruined just because someone is alive. You know, when we study the case study of Haman, what we see is a man who is bitter. A man who is bitter. And it seems like the Lord has been bringing up bitterness And the last couple weeks. (laughs) And that's not an accident. I don't know your heart condition. But I do know that the number one thing that plagues Christians is bitterness. I would say it's one of the number one things that plagues most people. But this is a sin that even Christians suffer through. Is unforgiveness. That's what bitterness is. It stems from unforgiveness. Bitterness is a slow working poison that destroys its own container. And as you study Haman, isn't this a man who's being destroyed from the inside out? That here he is, he's having a great day, and his day is ruined just because someone lives. Do you know it didn't affect Mordecai? He didn't go home and say, Man, I really showed Haman. He's like, I don't care. But it's Haman that's suffering. And by the way, Haman's suffering. He is. He's hurting. He's burning. It's killing him. Notice with me in the book of Ephesians in chapter number uh, chapter number 5. Chapter number 4, rather. So Ephesians chapter number 4. And we're going to use Haman as a case study. But if you don't mind, I'd like to walk through a little bit of of. Ephesians chapter 4. And let's look and see this idea of bitterness. And let's compare it to what we're reading to in ha- with Haman's life. Notice with me in Ephesians chapter 4. And let's start in verse number 24 and get a good running start in context. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24. And that you put on the new man after which God created in righteousness and true holiness so he's talking to us Christians and says you know what you need to do you need to put off the old man and put or put off the old man put on the new man so put on the new man wherefore putting away lying every man speak every man truth with his neighbor for we are members one to himself now notice all of this is going to do with our Con, our conversation are dealing with other people and he says first of all put away lying stop lying stop telling little lies stop trying to say how great you are and how bad someone is deal truthfully with people that's what we're, you're going to have to do to have a good relationship to, to make sure you don't have bitterness within yourself is to be honest with other people that means if they did do something don't let it linger take care of it Say, well, I'm afraid to say something. Well, you're the one that's hurting. You need to get it cleared up. Get it taken care of. You, you know, even at something. Hey, I know that you probably didn't even notice. But the other day when we were shaking hands, you missed me. And it really hurt me. And for the last couple of weeks, I just haven't got over it. That I just stare at you. and How dare you not? You, you say that's silly, but you never know. People get all kinds of little stuff up their crawl. Get it taken care of. Be honest with someone. What's wrong with you? Nothing. You know, that means something's wrong, right? Good. What's wrong with you? Nothing. Or it's even worse. Nothing. Okay, I'll take your word for it. You know, be honest. Be honest. Notice as it goes on. Be ye angry and sin not. Do you know that you can be angry and not sin? The problem is, is that we get angry and we sin. You know, there are times that we do get angry. Anger is an emotion. It's what you do with that that makes it sinful. How do you handle anger? Do you let it take over your entire body and your own entire mind and your decision process? Do you get in that little pouty thing? and Anger does come. It's how we deal with that anger. How do you deal with offenses? How do you deal with people who mess with you, who who accidentally do something, who, who may be oblivious to what they did? How do you deal with that anger? When someone looks at you and says, hey, man, you got some spinach in your teeth. Some people get really angry. I'm just trying to help. Sorry, I'll never do it again. You know, and how do you deal with that anger The Bible says, be angry and sin not. But notice this, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You know why he's saying that? Because if you don't deal with it immediately, it will turn to bitterness. That's just what it's leading to. If you say, well, you know, it's not that big deal. I'll put it under the rug. Guess what you're doing? You're planting it. And the Bible talks in the book of Hebrews that what will happen is that you can get a root of bitterness. What will happen is that it will start to bit roots and start to dig into the ground. Before it even comes up above the ground, it will start digging and start getting roots. You know how important roots are? Roots keep a plant into the ground. Have you ever had to pick, uh, a pick a plant? And you had to pull it out of the ground. It takes a little bit. And what comes is all the roots that are holding it in the ground. You know what bitterness does? Unforgiveness does? It takes root. And when you finally get around to plucking that thing. Depending on how big the root system is. It's going to hurt. It's going to affect you. It's going to. Some people when they finally get to forgiveness. They're like I feel so empty because I don't have anger anymore. I'm so used to living with it. Well, you need to take care of it. It's why the Bible says, "Let not the sun go down in your wrath." Don't let it linger. Fix it, fix it, fix it. If you let it linger, it's it's you're planting it for bitterness. Verse twenty-seven. Notice this: neither give place to the devil. You know how Satan works. He wants you not to forgive. He wants you not to get it taken care of. The Bible says when you don't forgive, you are giving place to the devil. You are giving him opportunity to work in your life. Someone said that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, he's like a lion walking through a cage. And he'll walk past it a thousand times just to see it open once. You just open up a crack and he'll work. You know how Satan works? He likes to put a wedge between you and leadership. You know what Satan would love to do? He'd love to put a little wedge between you and pastor. He'll get something small. Well, pastor didn't sing happy birthday to me as well as he sang happy birthday to someone else. And then what will happen is he put that little wedge and then he'll start hammering it. And it'll make it wider and wider. And it'll get to the place where we sing happy birthday to someone else. I'm trying to be facetious. I'm trying to use something that I'm hoping that no one's guilty of. So that way we can all laugh and but still get the point across. And every time pastor sings happy birthday. I can't believe he messed up when he sang happy birthday to me. And it just, it wedges it. And it puts a bigger wedge between you and pastor. You and pastor. Why? Because pastor can't help you when you need help now. Because you got a wedge there. You know what past, uh, Satan wants to do? He puts, wants to put a wedge between a husband and a wife. And he'll get something. And you don't forgive. You You, you just say, I'm going to bury that. I'm just going to dwell on that. He'll put a wedge. And he'll hammer it. You know, we've seen the memes and different stuff. You know, of Uno saying, you know, I'm responsible for uh, breaking up... Um, Tens of of relationships and Monopoly says, oh yeah, get in line. You know, how many marriages and relationships has Monopoly ruined, right? Throwing the table and stuff. You know, there are people who get divorced over stupid Monopoly games. An Uno game. And we laugh. But you know, it's because they don't forgive. And they keep a hold of something so small. And, you know, friendships will be ruined because of a video game. You know, you get mad, throw the controller and break it and And we laugh at this stuff, but we all know people it's happened to. Something small. You know, you think of little kids inside of school, well, I'm not friends with you no more. You stole my sticker, you know, or. It happens. And we like to think it's cute. Until it happens to an adult and we scratch our head and say, that's the stupidest thing in the world to get divorced over. But man, they're ready to go to fight over the dog or whatever it was. The Bible says, don't give place to the devil. What he wants to do is put a wedge. You know what Satan wants to do? He wants to put a wedge between children and their parents. He wants to get one side or the other to be so angry and so upset and not to let it go that it builds up and divides a relationship between kids and parents. And not necessarily little kids. Sometimes it's big kids and older adults. Well, I haven't spoken to my, my son in 20 years. Well, that's not bragging. That's, that's horrible. Because there's bitterness. Because it, and it destroys people. Because Satan is just looking for a wedge. Something small and insignificant. And he hammers it. And he wides it open. And he splits it. He wants to do that between you and a boss. I can't believe that my boss would do this. And you start to think. You wake up and you just think about your boss. and That's what Satan does. The Bible says don't give place to the devil. And it's something small. Something that if you looked at it in someone else, you'd say, why are you getting mad at that? But because it's you and you can't let it go. It's like a raging inferno full of indignation. that you wake up and you just think about your boss. I can't face my boss and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a teacher. My teacher hates me. I'm sure that there's no child in here that's ever said that my teacher hates me and just she's out to get me. She's not. Satan just put a little wedge and he's been hammering it on your side to put a wedge between you and the teacher. You know, every teacher that I know wants to help children and loves children. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in that job. If a teacher hated children, they're in the wrong profession. (laughs) But they're there to help you you get something in there and you've just let that wedge in there and next thing you know you're not learning from that teacher that teacher's pouring out their heart and you're not letting it happen or boss or whatever you pick the thing you know i don't have to go too far before you have in your own mind something that you say yeah it's my boss maybe my boss wasn't that evil after all You know, we always paint that picture that she is the wicked witch of the West. You know, when we picture on the bicycle, you know, riding it down. And that's how you imagine them. And they're not. But you got something in your crawl that just looking at them, just thinking about them, changes your face, changes your attitude. Notice it goes on 28. Let him that steals or stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to them that needeth. (laughs) You know, verse 28 kind of seems out of place. But it's dealing with the same thing. You know what the best thing to do when you do have an ought or whatever? Work. You know why? When you get free time, you think about that situation and roll it over and roll it over and roll it over. And it snowballs and becomes bigger than what it is because you're thinking about it. Work. Do something productive. Get your mind off of it. Forgive them and stop thinking about it. That's what it's saying. Work. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of the mouth. So we going back to communication again. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Here it is building up, that it may minister grace to the hearers, right? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say nothing at all. Don't let anything that's going to tear down people or hurt people come out of your mouth. Only use things that are going to build people up. Find something nice about the guy. You say, but there's nothing nice about him. Well, then you've probably got some issues on your side. Find something. Find something. You know, when people start talking bad about him, say I, I... tell them something good about the guy. Or leave the conversation if you can, but tell him something good. Find something good. Put it to the test. What good thing can you say about President Obama? <laughs> Find something good. I mean, we hear a lot of things tearing him down. And we understand that policies are free game. That we could judge things of policy. But the man himself. What good thing can you say about Miss Clinton? Okay. I, you know, there's a lot of tearing down. What good thing can you say about Mr. Trump? Yeah, I mean, again, I could throw this in there. I could throw the bomb and walk away and I could just say that name. I mean, you could almost go say, you know what? I'm going to go to McDonald's and just shout out loud Hillary Clinton and just let the explosion happen. Don't you understand there would be an explosion? Why? You know, we as Christians, the Bible says, let no corrupt communication come out of our mouth. But do that to the use of edifying. How can you build up someone? How can you encourage someone with your words? Again, this all goes with the same thing. Look at Haman's life. Haman, what good thing can you say about Mordecai? I bet you he couldn't think of a single thing. You know... Mordecai had worked himself to a high position within that government. He was trusted. And the next chapter, we're going to see that the king honors him because of his good deeds that he has done before in the past. But Mordecai couldn't think of anything good to say about him. He wanted him tore down. There's a big wedge between him and Mordecai, right? If Mordecai said, hey, Haman, can you do me a favor? There's something wrong with him. He is full of indignation. And like I said, we may laugh... But we all know Christians or people who profess to be Christians like that. We may laugh, but we've been there and done that ourselves. Mm -hmm. I could almost say every single one of us, including your pastor. I know that I may have just ruined someone's image of, you know. I'm just as human as you are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we all have issues and things that we've done. And times that we are not right in ourselves. Notice as it goes on. And grieve not the spirit of God. Whereby you are sealed by the day of redemption. You know what all this can do? It hurts God. It grieves him. It wounds him. When we don't forgive. And we use our words to wound. And then what we've covered before. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away with all malice. Malice has the idea to do bodily harm. Now, if I was to say under the spiritual progression of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking and malice, where would uh, Haman be at this time? Malice. He has the idea of doing bodily harm, not just to him, but to everyone related to him. I'm going to kill them all. This is a man who is the case study in the Bible. If you were to go name me someone who's bitter in the Bible, you go, Haman. He is someone who is at the end of the spectrum. He is bitter. He, he, it, again, nothing shows bitterness in a person when they're having a good day. And just the thought, just the look of the person can change their attitude and change their face. And they're no longer having a good day just because that person lives. And you and I have been there where we've had a good day. And we thought about that incident. We thought about that situation. And our day is ruined just by the thought of it. And it is not cute. And it is not funny. And it shows that we are wrong. We are wrong. And it's hurting us. What's the response? And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And over the last couple of weeks, we've hit this in various series and messages and revivals. We've just hit this. This is something that's, in fact, we hit it on Sunday already. So this is fresh. So I don't have to go belabor it. Someone says, I'm having a hard time forgiving. Then what you need to do is ask the Lord, God, can you help me? To forgive them. I can't forgive them myself. And I know that. Help me to forgive them. Then what you need to do. To do something practical. Give them a gift. And by the way. Do it anonymously. You say. But they'll never know. It came from me. Yeah. You need to be dead to self anyways. But it will do your heart. A lot of good. It'll do your heart. A lot of good. Buy them a gift. You say. But it's going to cost me money. They're not worth my money. No. But is your own personal life worth money is it worth a giving a gift to have a peace of mind to have some healing back you say, but they did me so wrong when they give him a big gift someone says, give till it hurts I want you to give till it stops hurting right, right? if it hurts too much to give five dollars then give them ten dollars <laughs> if it hurts too much give him ten dollars give them twenty five if it hurts too much give him twenty five you know keep going up until it no longer hurts. <laughs> Isn't that practical? Do something nice for them. Do something to heal your own heart. Do something. Because this will destroy your own life. You know, as people get older, they either get more sweet or they get more sour. I love retirement home ministries because you see that. You get some nice, sweet people. And you know, they are the sweetest people in the world. And you just love to spend with them. And then you got that crotchety old man in the back. (laughs) You know why? He's got bitterness. He looks back at his life and there's something that went wrong. He turned out something that he didn't expect. Something happened and he just won't let it go. And it's eating him alive. Until he becomes where no one can be around him. No one wants to touch him. No one wants to spend time with him. And then he complains and is bitter because he's lonely, because he's driven everyone away. It's bitterness that needs to be taken care of. You say, But how do I take care of bitterness in someone else's life? You can't. You concentrate on your own business and you pray for others, but God has to work on them. You have enough of a time to keep yourself right because bitterness comes so quickly. And it will come so unexpectedly. But it's something that we all, all of us as Christians, if you're a human being, you have to deal with. And you have to fight against. Because even Christians can become bitter. You ever notice that there's a phrase in the Bible that says, Husbands, be not bitter with your wives. Do you know what it's in the Bible? Because there's a tendency for husbands to be bitter with their wives. Does it make sense? You know, we have to actively forgive our wives. Wives. I know it doesn't say wives don't be bitter against your husband, but there is that same reverse. I understand your husbands aren't perfect. You're going to have to forgive them for being stupid, being crazy and doing all that stuff. Nobody, you didn't marry. When you got married to them, you have to realize you didn't marry the most perfect person. And if nothing else, they didn't marry the most perfect person. You're going to have to practice forgiving one another and dealing with it and working on your own self so there's no bitterness. And the book of Ephesians chapter 4 verses 24 on down is something to follow. Practical steps of warnings and watchings to keep us not bitter. And so as we come and approach the Lord's Supper, are you like Haman? Are you full of indignation? Can you have a good day but you think of that one person's name? And all of a sudden your day turns bad. Just mentioning work. Just mentioning that situation. Just mentioning that thing. It's enough to make you. You know what you have to do? You have to forgive. Even if they're not worth it. Even if they don't ask for it. You need to forgive. Because that forgiveness not only tears you up. It grieves the Holy Spirit. It puts a wedge between you and God. You know, there's some people who might not, might even need to forgive God. But you say, but God never did anything wrong. Yeah, but it doesn't stop people from blaming him. Why did you let my dog die? We dealt with a lady who was bitter with God for three years because she let her dog die. We laugh at that, but it happens. How dare that thing happen when I was a child? How dare that thing happen? I'm sorry bad things do happen and I'm sorry you went through that but you've got to forgive God you got to forgive yourself you got to forgive the situation because all it's going to happen is that it's going to eat you alive and it's going to keep you from serving God it's going to keep you from being close to God you know why there's some people who can't read their Bible because it reminds them so much of God and they just can't they can't let it go